Hey, weirdos, it's Syrah, and we are back again for an interview with the wonderful Leslie Voorhees Means. Leslie is the co-founder of wedding dress company Anomaly. I am getting married in about, I don't know, 28-ish hours, so I thought it would be perfect timing for us to have a conversation with someone that specializes in disrupting the wedding industry. And by the way, Full disclosure, my dress does come from Dress Anomaly, but they did not sponsor this episode. So without further ado, let's get to it so that I can say my vows. Welcome to Girls Just Want to Have Fun, the weekly podcast that deconstructs the intimidating world of finance. Hosted by Syrah Rahman, VP of Finance at HM Bradley, and her partner in crime, Megan McShane, a manager at a Fortune 100 company, and supported by StockTwits. Girls Just Want to Have Funds will take on the important questions in personal finance that so many of us avoid, but also take on a glass of wine or two. Learn more, subscribe to the show, and join Syra and Megan on their no-shame adventure to financial freedom at girlsjustwanna.com. What's up, team? It's Syra and Megan, and we are here today with the wonderful Leslie Voorhees Means. Leslie, thank you so much for joining us. Yeah, thanks for having me. Excited to be here. Leslie, it's so wonderful to meet you. This is going to air well past this, but I just have to say, Syra's getting married in two days, got her final dress fitting today. And this couldn't be more timely. We're like, this is going to be like this. a mini. We, we didn't even coordinate. I picked the date, right? This is so serendipitous. Uh, yeah, I'm, I think I think somewhere in the episode, I'll have to do like a sneak peek of the dress for you guys. Like maybe at the tail end. We'll yes, with like yes, please. Whipping the dress out because it's like literally sitting in a zipper next to me, itching for me to like start showing it to people since literally no one has seen it except for me. So like COVID times, I didn't have anyone go with me to try it on. And I mean, I just told you guys right before we started recording that I was sobbing my eyes out at the tailor. So I would love to show it to somebody. So what better time than a couple days before I get married? Yeah. So Leslie, if you're ready, we'll dive right into the interview. Yeah, let's do it. Awesome. So Leslie, in our mind, every single woman that we interview on the podcast is a heroine in their own regard. That's you. So in your own words, what has been your heroine's journey thus far? Oh, good question. So I'll start by saying I didn't ever like originally plan on being an entrepreneur or starting my own company or dream about that necessarily. I was really happy in my you know bigger corporate jobs, I worked for Nike right out of undergrad, and then after business school was working for Apple and loved my backgrounds in manufacturing and, and engineering and loved always working on product, consumer product goods, and then specifically like being involved in the manufacturing of that. So it wasn't something I was ever really pining for, but the idea for Anomaly came about when I was shopping for my wedding dress. So I was at Apple when I got engaged to my now husband and co-founder too, which was not something we were also planning on doing. And started shopping and was just really frustrated with the whole process that dresses were outrageously expensive and you know, I'm kind of cheap, but also really picky, which is probably like a pretty tough customer. And I had this idea of what I wanted for my dress and couldn't really find it in stores and ended up doing a little bit of research and found a city in China. I was in China a lot at the time for my job with Apple and 
found this city that makes most of the world's wedding dresses and makes for the top brands and had beautiful quality garments I visited. And I mean, my eyes were open to this like beautiful untapped supply chain. And it was really like this aha moment in terms of like, wow, I'm going to be able to find something for me, but also like, how does no one else know about this? Like, how am I, you know, the only foreigner in this area? It was like very clear that Chinese women knew about this secret that I had uncovered, but thought that there was really an opportunity there to, you know, potentially have a business. And, and at the same time, I'm having like requests from friends, like, when are you going back to China next? Like we had lots of engaged friends at the time who were also struggling. So realized, you know, that other women were feeling the same frustration as me. And so it was interesting timing to jump into this full time. And yeah, my husband and I both quit our jobs at the same time and, you know, took this risk, I would say, but it's, I mean, for me, like the risk assessment really ended up being more about like, what if we see this opportunity and don't take advantage of it? Will I always be wondering like, what if? And so, yeah, jumped in, which was almost five years ago, which is crazy that, I mean, we're coming up on five years of the company and also five years of marriage. My anomaly dress was the very first anomaly product. And then it kind of kicked off the start of the company. And so, and then it's been a wild journey since then, raising venture capital, building the team, scaling back the team during COVID. I mean, it's been a really tough year and a half, just given, you know, weddings have basically been on hold up until relatively recently. And so it's been, you know, a lot of amazing lessons and, you know, finding cost cutting and being really scrappy for the past year and a half. But I mean, it's been a beautiful journey. It's like such an amazing time to be an entrepreneur where, you know, people are willing to give you millions of dollars to go and chase after an idea that's like just blossoming. And it's, I just feel really, really lucky. And it's been, you know, a wild ride, but really happy to be in this opportunity and also this space like weddings, I think get a bad rep and brides get a bad rep, but man, when we get it right, it's so fun. It's like such an amazing product on this woman who for many, it's the most important day of their lives. And, you know, our product is the centerpiece. And so it's just really easy to be motivated. And I don't think I'll ever get sick of weddings or wedding dresses because it's just such a cool product and cool space. I love hearing that. I feel like I had a long and difficult journey figuring out exactly what I wanted to do with the dress. So Anomaly was such a lifesaver, both in terms of time for me, because I already knew what I wanted. I just didn't see it anywhere. And it was also a really fun experience because for the first time in my life, I got like I got to be what I keep telling people in my dreams I would be if I, you know, had talent, which is design my own dress. So, and you did that. I love like women come. That's like our most common review is like I got to design my dress, and like here is this like very emotional, important day, and like this very emotional strange garment. It's like unlike anything you have ever worn and probably will ever wear. And it's like, what other garment should be super hyper personalized than this? And it's like, I love that reaction hearing like women really own it. It's like, yeah, this is my, like you guys are the designers. It's not a brand. We don't employ any designers. It's up to the bride. Yes, 100%. It was so cool watching that like come to life and then all of the things. And that was kind of a tipping point for me, right? When I realized that I could actually design my own dress, I was like, who 
when you have this option and it's cheaper than going to the store and like trying on a zillion things that some fashion designer thinks is accurate versus what I literally already had in my brain pretty much since I was a child, right? Like one of the things that I dreamed about from when I was little is the sari that I was going to get married in and the white dress that I was going to get married in. Like those were the two things that I had envisioned from the moment I realized I loved fashion. But for you, Leslie, it sounds like there may have been a very specific tipping point when you realized that you wanted to go into this industry and disrupt it. And so for you, like, what was that tipping point and what was that moment like? Yeah. So I mentioned we started getting orders like right after I made my dress. And so it was kind of a side hustle for maybe a couple months. And I was thinking, man, this would be perfect. I can, you know, have my steady, safe corporate job at Apple and then have this like side gig. And that sounds really cool. And then I think the tipping point was when I made the decision to quit my job, which again, like there's this risk assessment that I went through, but thinking I'm going to be even if this fails, even, you know, if this is like not what I was expecting at all, I think that is less of a risk than not going after it, just given it was such an amazing reaction right away from other women. And it was really fun and interesting. And the more info I dug about the wedding industry and bridal in particular was just so obvious that it needed to be shaken up a little bit. And so, yeah, the tipping point for me was when I think I was thinking about Anomaly and dreaming about Anomaly when I was at my, you know, job with Apple. And then when I was working on Anomaly, I was kind of like wondering about Apple. And it was like the back and forth. I'm like, I can't do both of these. This is something that I'm going to have to, you know, single path it for at least, you know, a little while to see if it works. And my team was super supportive at Apple. And, you know, at the same time, this was also like, my fiance was making that decision as well. So we kind of like, did it together. And we're like, let's go after this for a little bit. And so yeah, and again, that was five years ago. Before we dive into like the industry all up, I mean, the thing that comes to my head that was like, oh my God, not only is your life partner, your business partner, like what is that dynamic like for you guys? How do you set up for real? Like how do you set up boundaries and like saying like, this is our life and this is our work? Like what does that look like? I know people would be interested to hear from you. Yeah, I mean, I would candidly say there aren't really boundaries, which is okay. I mean, starting a company, especially when you're doing something venture backed, it is all encompassing, all like all consuming. And for us, it was okay that we didn't really have a personal life. Like we wanted to fully commit to this idea. And again, like starting something from scratch is going to take all of your time and energy and I think we tried, you know, early on, we're like, okay, let's have a date night and like, not talk about anything anomaly, but we didn't really have anything else to talk about. I mean, and that was, that was fine. That was fun. And, and, you know, we purposefully put off things like having a family and, you know, I have told this to other founders. I mean, if you are wanting to prioritize your personal life or being an amazing friend or daughter or sister, starting a company might not be the best decision for you. And that's okay. But for us, I think it was just like alignment of yes, we want to do this. And yes, we want to do this fully. That helped. And then, you know, checking in. I also think 
being co-founders, like the aspects of what makes a great co-founder relationship is also what makes a great marriage. They're kind of one in the same. You need to have really good communication skills and, and trust and, you know, conflict resolution and all of this stuff that we had already been practicing given that we'd been together for a while. And so I think that also just kind of led into a nice co-founder relationship as well. And it's definitely changed over time, both in terms of like our roles and also with what we're prioritizing. Like I'm actually pregnant 19 weeks in. So this is like the first time we're kind of thinking about things outside of Anomaly is the business has grown and shifted. And so I think as long as that communication path is there, it can totally work. And there are a number of amazing companies that have co-founder teams that are married. So I think it's just going to become potentially more and more common given, I mean, it's risky, I think, if a co-founder relationship breaks up regardless and with a married couple, you've got like even more skin in the game. So you're going to work really hard to not let it fail. Leslie, congratulations, by the way, that's amazing news. You know, maybe the business can go to your son or daughter later down the road, but you know, you'll get there. It's a boy. So I don't know if he's going to want to inherit a yeah wedding dress company, but <laughs> perhaps your husband is along the ride for you. So maybe there's a spot that's for true. him. Yeah. <laughs> so putting our feet in the consumer for a second. Like having a wedding is one of the largest expenses people can have. So for me that doesn't know necessarily when she's going to get engaged or have a wedding, perhaps, how do you look at a wedding dress expense? You know what I mean? Like, do you put certain money aside for a long time? Like, how should I be looking at that? Yeah, I think, I mean, the wedding dress is an expensive component of an already really expensive experience and an expensive day. I say that expensive, meaning it's going to take some amount of money. It doesn't have to be expensive. I think, I mean, my recommendation, and we're really benefiting right now from this trend of like hyper-personalized weddings, like people are not having cookie cutter weddings in hotel ballrooms or, you know, church basements, like in our parents' generation. And I think what I've seen just through the journeys of our brides is like brides have wide, wide ranges of weddings from the city hall elopement with, you know, your two best friends with like almost zero expense to the big traditional, you know, multi-day affair. And so, Yeah, I mean, for the wedding dress, so I guess I'll back up and give my view on like what the average costs are, because it still is expensive and Anomaly is a great value, but it's still going to put you back a couple thousand bucks. So the bulk of the dollars in the wedding dress market are in the two to $5,000 range. And if you go to a boutique, it's kind of what you can expect from like the traditional brick and mortar mom and pop independent boutiques. And then... I mean, designer dresses can go very easily $5,000 or more and $10,000 plus. I was just chatting with a gal who is a sales associate for one of the like big designers. And she was saying that she had two $50,000 sales within the last month. So there are women spending very, very, very large sums on your wedding dress, which is fine. I mean, I think this is, again, what my advice would be for for making the decision about the wedding dress and your wedding just in general, you should prioritize what is important to you and understand your, you know, financial obligations, set a budget and then pick what you want. Because if you don't want a wedding cake and you want, you know, hot dog bar, like 
that's totally fine. Like if you want to spend $10,000 on your wedding dress because it's really important to you and you can afford that, like that's fine too. I think a lot of women are questioning, like, do I need to have all of these, you know, big high ticket items at my wedding, including paying a lot for a wedding dress. And a lot of women are saying no. And so that's, I think that's the customer that we do really well with is like women that believe that the design is really, really important, that the fit and quality is really important, but don't want to pay the designer markup. That was another interesting thing that I've noticed with the industry is there's very little brand recognition other than one, which is Vera Wang. And then, you know, it's not like you're wearing a logo or the design is fairly commoditized given it's a white or ivory dress, there's lace or no lace. And so, you know, for us with this mass customization approach, it's helped us to have these like pieces that can be modules of designs that we can trade in and out. But you know, in reality, like a lot of wedding dresses look really similar. And so why would you, you know, pay that upcharge for a designer unless you want to say that you're wearing a Vera Wang dress, which is totally fine. And that's not necessarily our customer. And then lower market is David's Bridal is actually the largest retailer in bridal. And they're a third of the market, which is crazy. So one in every three wedding dresses is from David's Bridal. And their price is, I think, around 700 but can go as low as just a couple hundred bucks. So there's, I mean, options for all women. And we, you know, we love talking to brides. You could talk to a stylist without any obligation for buying a dress. And so if we're able to provide insights on, you know, what an anomaly experience would be like, and then also help educate the bride in terms of what type of design would be good for her and her wedding, she can take that and shop around too. I mean, there's, we already benefit from women visiting lots of places and coming to us when they can't find what they want. And we like to, you know, employ women with as much information, given it is a big decision, even though you're, you know, only wearing this for one day, it still is really important. And so if you can have all that info and find a dress that fits your budget, that's great for us. We have, we want to make brides happy, even if it's not necessarily with purchasing an anomaly dress. Leslie, thank you for that. It really kind of gives people the idea of what the landscape looks like. And also, I didn't know one in three dresses are from David's Bridal. That kind of blew my mind <laughs> for a second there. It's yes. wild. And actually, there's no one else with more than, I think Beholden has like 2% market share and Kleinfeld's has one. So the industry is really, really fragmented spread across these independent mom and pop boutiques, which is one of the reasons, you know, why I was originally really interested in this. It's like, wow, this is ripe for consolidation and disruption. 95 plus percent of wedding dresses are still purchased in a store, which, you know, you look at the retail landscape in general, it's like, you don't really see that anymore. It's like one of the last remaining respites for brick and mortar that hasn't been disrupted by a direct-to-consumer player, which is why, you know, totally. we're here. And what I also heard you say is my question around, you know, how much does it cost or how much should it cost or how should I save? It really depends, right? You want to try to seek out people as a, as a future bride, maybe, you know, that can advocate for you. Like you were saying, like they can come to us and talk to a consultant and figure it out and take that information elsewhere. We're fine with that because it's part of your kind of mission is to help people maybe take back control a little bit more of a process that's so monopolized is what it sounds like. Totally. It's interesting because at least when I was shopping, it was really hard to price compare as well. It reminds me of 
mattress shopping, you know, five or 10 years ago before all these direct-to-consumer players were, where, you know, the shops would obscure the name of the brand or the model. And so it made it really hard to understand kind of what you were purchasing. And if you go online to some of these larger brick and mortar retailers with wedding dresses, they still do that. It's kind of hard to find the prices of these dresses. And so, you know, we're really transparent with our pricing. And that's part of hopefully the fun part of working with a stylist is if, if you've got a budget for $1,700, and I didn't mention the average anomaly dress right now is right around 1900. But if you've got, you know, a budget of say 1700, your stylist can work with you, given we're really open about what goes into the cost of the dress, which is the materials, like if you get a silk dress, it's going to be more expensive than you know, a synthetic poly material. If you want a really long train with tons and tons of beading and lace, that takes a lot of handwork and is more expensive and we can break that down. And so it's about, I think, prioritizing what's important to you in the dress. If there are certain aspects that are non-negotiable, we'll prioritize that and work around it with, you know, suggestions for other places that you could cut costs that might not be as important to you in your design. And it's the same thing with the wedding. I mean, this is, and I would, I mean, recommend your listeners for any that are engaged or about to get engaged. I think it's called a practical wedding or a practical bride. I think it's a practical wedding. It is this amazing book that I read in my engagement and it goes through debunking some of these quote unquote traditions of the wedding industry that aren't even really necessarily traditions. And I think pushes you to think as an individual, what is important to you in your wedding. And the wedding cake is one example, but there's lots of different examples. If you want a rehearsal dinner or don't necessarily want a rehearsal dinner or you know if your in-laws or parents want to contribute to the wedding like what does that dynamic look like with what's important to them too because they're you know putting in dollars and so I think it does a really just thoughtful job of preparing you for you know this big potentially expensive day and then also really like emotional important day and well debunking a lot of these like you know the traditions that might not even be traditions and again it's like we're really benefiting right now from like the hyper hyper personalized wedding and you can do what you want if you want a small dinner party that's totally fine too I think it's like all bets are off in terms of what this like party looks like for you and it's just more about you feeling good and you committing you know your life to this person in front of friends or family or no one, you know, just yourselves, which I just think is so cool. I love hearing all of that, which to all of our listeners, the one thing that I think is super, super wonderful about Leslie is that she actually shared that advice with me previously. And that was when I really started thinking about like what is important to me because, you know, originally Nick and I planned a whole thing. We were going to go to Vegas. Megan was planning to attend. And then, you know, the Delta variant came in and we got our deposit sent back to us and the place where we were planning to hold our celebration canceled. So we had to change gears pretty quickly and figure out exactly what we were doing. And we had like a, we had a serious conversation about what was important to us and where we wanted to spend money. And despite the fact that, you know, like my budget is very different, I think, from other people's budgets insofar as Nick and I are like, we just want to be married. So we were planning to elope no matter what. And there are a few things that mean a lot to me and that matter a lot to me in my life. And one of them was having a good photographer because I wanted my family to be able to feel like they were there even though they couldn't be present. 
And then the second thing, and Nick kind of agreed with me because he knows how important my clothes are. He was like, it's your dress. And so that's the other space that we decided. Yeah, right? That was the other space that we decided to spend our money. And so before I really even knew about Anomaly, which my brother-in-law, my sister's husband, is the reason that I was introduced to Leslie because you guys are friends. But the premise for me was doing all this research and being like, who are these designers? So my first wedding dress, I have been married before. My first wedding dress was a Vera Wang. And I had that whole experience. And to be quite honest, like... Nobody looked at my wedding photos and was like, ooh, Vera, you know, like, and then when I was doing the additional research and I was like, I don't know any of these designers, none of these dresses mean anything to me. There's no value behind that name. So I think for me this time around, I was like, if it's not exactly what I want, there is not a chance in hell I'm spending 10,000 plus dollars on a dress. Like, I'm just not, I have no desire to do that. And of course, I was like, astonished by the prices on Anomaly's website because it was so much lower than what I was expecting it to be to be able to design my own dress. So that was like this pleasant surprise that I had out of that experience. And like, Leslie, I I guess what I'm trying to get at is because I didn't have to do much beyond that since I mean, there's a third thing, by the way, which is the wedding cake, which means a lot to me. And I am getting a custom wedding cake, which is literally just for Nick and I to eat. And that will be probably the only thing I eat on my wedding day, which it's my effing wedding day that's all i need to eat that's all the calories i deserve but that's fine i love it for for our wedding cake if i can just for a second it was also really important for us to have a wedding cake but we didn't want the whole cake cutting and so we literally made a cake for ourselves like a tiny cake because i also love the tradition of freezing the cake and having a piece of the cake on your first anniversary and so we had this tiny tiny cake my mom made a little cake topper and then we had cupcakes and cookies like a dessert bar for everyone else so we literally had a wedding cake that we did not share with any of our guests (laughs) just because that was so important to us Yes, 100%. So he doesn't know this. And I'm assuming he's not listening because he's probably upstairs packing for our wedding right now. But I'm getting him a surprise wedding cake. He doesn't know the wedding cake's coming. It's getting delivered by someone on our wedding day. And it'll come up to our room after we're done getting married, which we're getting married at 6am. So it'll be in our room at like 10am. And yeah, and he doesn't know, but it's a fun fatty wedding cake, which is like an inside joke between the two of us because it's not really a flavor that exists in like fancy wedding cake land, but it does for us. So super it's pumped so about that. It's so good but- too. It's definitely the best cake flavor. It is. You know what? It is. So Leslie, talking about all of that, what else in the wedding industry is ripe for disruption? Like where else is there a similar pocket to like the need for an anomaly, but for another segment? So everywhere in the wedding industry, I think, has opportunity to be disrupted right now. The wedding industry is like a 90 to $100 billion business in the US alone. So there's lots and lots of money there. And I think, yeah, given these trends of hyper-personalization too, I think there's disruptions happening all over the place. So everything from the planning to the websites, invitations, vendor, like vendor searching or finding your vendors, and then lots in the garment space. So tangentially to Anomaly, groomsmen suits and your bridal party gifts, bridesmaids dresses. I think there's just a lot of, I think it's a good time to be a consumer and a good time to be a bride just because there's like all these cropping up. And yeah, it's been this kind of old established industry for so long. And I think, yeah, there's lots of little startups popping up all over the place, given it should be disrupted. There's a lot of money there. 
Yeah. And you mentioned earlier too, and obviously size a main example of eloping and instead of having a party because, you know, we are in a global pandemic. But for me, like the eternal optimist, you know, I've seen several of my friends get married over the past two years and it's definitely changed immensely. And I think the industry and it's made it so much more personal and almost back to the basics of why are we getting married and why does it matter? Which I think is so beautiful and intimate. And I've probably been more emotional at those weddings than I have many others, just because you feel so in it. You're like, oh, you're in love and you're going to spend the rest of your life together. And I think with the background of COVID happening too, it's like, Weddings are just the perfect representation of what's important too. And that's whether you're gathering and attending them or not. It's like friends, family, travel, love. It's like just all of the happiness and like what's important in your life all gathered up into this like singular episodic event, which is so beautiful too. And that's your life. No wonder you like your job. It's so easy to like (laughs) my job. (laughs) That's amazing. So as you kind of like look back on your life and kind of your career life, work life, everything, what advice would you give yourself five years ago, which I think is when you started your company, if you could talk to your past Yeah, it's hard. My husband jokes that he's like, how do you never have any regrets? Or like, I'm like not backwards looking to a fault. So this is a hard question for me because I am always, you know, trying to make the right decisions at that time. And, you know, you can always look back and say, Oh, you should have done this a little bit differently, or I wish you would have done this. But you know, at the time, it was like you make the decision with the best information that you've got in front of you. I think it is interesting exactly five years ago is like right when it was starting. And I think the only thing I can think of is just potentially to advise myself to be slightly less stressed out. Like I think this pandemic has again, really helped prioritize, crystallize like what's important, relationships, health, you know, I think there are so many people that are worse off than us. And we're, you know, my husband and I are lucky enough to have our health. And again, I'm pregnant now and kind of thinking ahead, which is super exciting. And I think it's so easy to get caught up in the the existential fear that comes along with starting a company because it's like, you know, this was my first time doing something that I was really owning. And it's empowering, but stressful. And I wish I could just advise myself like, hey, it's going to be okay. And this is an amazing journey. And, you know, brides are gonna love this product and just yeah, give advice to myself that it's not as scary as it seems doing this like, solo kind of founder journey. I Love hearing that. I think if I were to echo back what you were just saying, it's kind of like getting comfortable with being uncomfortable and saying that it's okay to be a little bit riskier than you normally, where you were when you were at Apple versus where you are now. I'm assuming you've really increased your risk threshold and you've told yourself like, this is okay. Like I am a successful human being. I'm going to make it through all of this, no matter what changes come by. And I love hearing that because I feel like Megan and I continuously push ourselves to take on more risk and do things a little bit differently. So I, I love that. that. I, if you haven't read the book, the upside of stress, that's another one that I read recently that really resonated, which one of the takeaways is like, you stress about things that are important. That means you're doing something important. Or, you know, if, if your life was completely stress-free, probably a little bit boring, or maybe you aren't taking enough risk. And so it's actually like a good thing to have this worry that means it's important to you. 
going back a little bit, congratulations on being pregnant, by the way. That is a personal dream of mine. And I think it's incredible that you are doing all of these things and just sprinting towards your goals and openly sharing your pregnancy. So we have a series of questions that we're asking everyone for this mini series that we are doing for our podcast. And one of the questions and our first question for you is, how would you give someone advice if they were trying to tell their boss that they are going to have a baby? So telling their boss that they're pregnant, how would you give someone advice on how to do that? Yeah, definitely like living that right now. And I think, you know, some of the advice that I was given about pregnancy is like, oh, it's never a good time to be pregnant. I don't think that's necessarily true. I think there are better times than others. And like I said, for my husband and I, it was the early days of the business and starting out was definitely not the right time to have kids. And I'm 35. And so I'm kind of getting to the older side of pregnancy. I think it's technically an advanced like geriatric pregnancy, which is so sad. But, but Blech, I hate that <laughs> word. We need to we need to eradicate that from the dictionary. Uh, There's no such so thing. True. So that was definitely not the right time for us to have kids or fundraising. Like that was a personal decision for me, but I knew that that was going to be all consuming and really stressful. And I wanted to be really, really selfish with my time and didn't feel like we could add any additional complexity in our lives. And so that also wasn't a good time. And then you know, through COVID, our business has changed quite a bit. And given what's happening in our personal lives, like this is the right time for us. And so I say that just because that's kind of like in the thinking and planning ahead of it. And then for advice on, yeah, telling your manager, I mean, for me, it was telling the team, which definitely came with some trepidation. I didn't want people to be worried about what the plan was, you know, when I take maternity leave. The good thing is, there's plenty of time. Pregnancy is nine months. So you can kind of feel out like when I think it's a really personal decision when you want to start telling people we told our friends really early on. And that worked well for us. We actually had a miscarriage earlier this year too. And that's like one of the big risks I think with telling people early is you have to tell people when it doesn't work out, which again was hard, but I knew I was going to want to talk about it anyway, if that's what ended up happening. I'm, I'm obviously like, willing to talk about it now still, which helped, but a lot of people, that's just a personal decision. And then I think professionally, I mean, it's probably going to be a hard conversation regardless. I would try to have it on the earlier side or as early as you're comfortable with once you start telling people. And now that I've told people too, it's really fun to talk about. So it's like, you know, it's been kind of this secret and it's like nice to be able to talk about given it's something that I am thinking so much about. And just the more time that you give yourself or your manager or your, you know, your org to plan around your maternity leave, I think the better. I'm curious because you are a co-founder of a company and you're going through kind of the reverse of the question that we're asking you. Has this instilled or started maybe you guys thinking a little bit more if people want to take maternity or paternity leave at our company, what that'll look like for them from like a balance perspective or? Yeah, I think, I mean, we have always had a pretty flexible, like long, more generous maternity leave policy. So I'll have to, yeah, you'll have to ask me after I take mine, like if that was like it should be even longer or maybe this was too much. But the interesting thing about our team is it is mostly women. And I didn't set out to 
build, you know, an all female workforce, or, you know, it was my goal to like disrupt the career paths of like women starting their careers. But it kind of has emerged that way in that we had this young team, ambitious team, smart team. And it's like, wow, we should be thinking about what this path looks like for women, given I'm in a position where I can make decisions that will help or, you know, potentially hinder someone's becoming a mom. And it's like, well, this is our customers are women, like our team is mostly women, it's led by a woman, like, I just want to make sure I'm thoughtful about this. So I think we've had those policies in place for a while and have had a number of women take advantage of it and really appreciate it. And, you know, I don't know what that's like yet, but I'm excited to see like, wow, the motherhood thing is really, you know, 24 seven too. And I'm glad that I have this like time carved out for that. I love hearing all of that. And I love hearing that you're becoming like the live experiment where you are going to see what works and what doesn't at your company. Like that is a really cool open mind to go through this process with. And by the way, I'm so sorry for your miscarriage. I I understand that a little bit all too well. And I really, I think that's very empowering as a co-founder to be able to share that with your team and to like be open about that because that is a very painful process to go through. And particularly for someone that is so busy and like doing so many things for your company, I I really commend you. I think the more that we talk about it, the more it becomes normalized. I totally agree. It should not be stigmatized. Pregnancy shouldn't be stigmatized. Miscarriages. I mean, it's like all part of this experience. And yeah, I mean, it was kind of strange to talk about it with the team again, but it was like, I am in a position of power and influence. And like, of course, I should be talking about this. And if I do this, maybe that will make it easier for even one other woman on our team to deal with something similar or, you know, take care of a friend that's going through something similar. And yeah, we should talk about it more. So I'm going to kind of flip this on you then, Leslie, because I love I love hearing all of this. I have one last question for you. How would you recommend someone quit with grace? Because let's say they they have the kid, they take the maternity leave, and then they realize, oh my gosh, I actually want to be a full-time parent instead of coming back to work. What advice would you give someone that wants to take on parenting full-time? Yeah, of I love, it's this funny trend that I'm noticing and like choosing your wedding dress or prioritizing your your wedding. I think it has to be a personal decision and you have to understand what's important to you and your partner and your kids. There's been this movement, almost like reverse feminism, where it's like everyone's got to be working and like hustle porn and like, you know, girl boss and like, which is awesome. That's amazing. But I mean, both my husband and I were both raised by stay at home moms. There's this, I think, hole right now for stay at home moms and this push for women to keep working and, you know, women can do it all. And I mean, I haven't had the baby yet, but it's, it is really hard for me to do anything other than anomaly or, you know, anything other than what I'm putting my mind to. And so I imagine it's going to be hard to find that balance. And I use quotations for balance because I don't think it's there's ever really balance. I think it's more about like, you have a set number of hours in the day, same as everybody, and you can carve out time for what's important to you. And that will shift and change over time. And if, you know, parenthood is the most important thing, and you can, you know, make financial sense of it, and that is what's motivating and fulfilling to you, that's awesome. Like, then you should totally do that. I think the conversation 
with your employer. And I would say this about quitting for any reason. Maybe you found another job offer that's exciting. Maybe you're not fulfilled at work anymore and you want to take some time off. I mean, there's been a lot of movement in the job market right now with COVID and We've had a couple gals say, I'm not particularly happy, you know, with my job anymore. And we've gone through a couple different paths of adjusting roles and then also having the conversation about winding down. And what I have appreciated so much as a manager and as a CEO is just transparency about how you're feeling. Like I'd much rather, you know, not be surprised, like I'm unhappy, I'm out, like I'm giving my two weeks notice. That's so hard. And it's heartbreaking, you know, personally, because I care about the team so much, and then also difficult to plan around. And it's, you know, I think if you can breed a culture of directness and transparency with your team, people are willing to have those conversations way earlier. And some of them can be adjusted and salvaged based on, you know, what the what the strategy is of the company and what roles are available. And then in other times, you know, there was a gal who was an amazing stylist who said that she's really interested in another company. I happen to know the CEO of that company. And so I wrote this painful letter of recommendation saying, you know, this woman is absolutely amazing. Like it hurts for me to like lose her, but she really wants to work at your company and here are all her skills and here's why she's amazing. And they hired her and she's super happy. And it's like, I love like, Anomaly is not necessarily going to be the end-all be-all career for everyone. And what would be even better, I think, is if this is like a launching pad for women to to feel really ambitious about their careers and, and go on and do other things, including, you know, potentially being a full-time mom. And so if we can empower women and have a happy workplace and culture, and then, you know, also encourage women to continue to push themselves, even if that means leaving, that's okay too. And And I think... Yeah, so the advice for, you know, individuals having that conversation, I think, ideally, you have a relationship with your manager where you can start talking about that really early. And I would guess a lot of managers are similar to me in that they would really appreciate extra time and the ability to talk about it. Maybe there's opportunity to negotiate for a better salary in that opportunity because, you know, your company realizes how much they need you or want you. So I think, you know, the benefit of the job market right now is that everyone is looking to hire and the employee has the power right now. And that, you know, can show up in a number of different ways in terms of negotiation for bigger role, bigger salary, or changing something about the role or potentially leaving. Leslie, I I am not surprised you started your own company. I'm just (laughs) going to go ahead and say that. You drive the conversation and culture with so much passion and power. And I just want to honor and kind of like celebrate you for that. Because, you know, I think at the end of the day, and I'm paraphrasing for you, so totally correct me, you're like, it's about experiences. And, you know, if you don't have a good one, then you shouldn't be having it. You know what I mean? And so we really, I know that resonates with Sai and me. I'm just going to speak for her because we want to live authentically through life, you know, putting our best foot forward and try to show up happy every day. So I applaud you for that. And I'm excited that, you know, you're a female founder that's blazing that trail for a lot of us. So thank you. It's super cool. Yeah, Leslie, so many thoughts that are running through my head. I'm going to have to I'm going to have to pull in Megan and re-listen to this episode so I can start extracting and extrapolating some of this information for myself. I do have one last question for you before we do the big dress reveal, which is 
first and foremost, where can people find you online? Where can they find Anomaly? Give me all yeah, of the things. Yeah, two recommendations. One, if you want to get to know us and our dresses, I think the best way to do that quickly and easily is on Instagram. And we're at Anomaly, A-N-O-M-A-L-I-E. We have benefited from the professional photography and professional hair and professional makeup and our product being on real women. And so the the feed is just tons and tons of real women on their wedding days with their anomaly dresses. And there's, you know, tons and tons of diversity, both in the designs and then also the women, which I just think is so fun. I mean, I'm biased, but I, I love our our Instagram feed. And then if you want to learn more about the process and actually sign up and play around with Dress Builder and you know, schedule time with a stylist, you can go to our website, which is dressanomaly.com. Amazing. Thank you so much for all of that. I'm going to skip hop and grab my dress so that you guys can see what this thing Very looks like. Very excited. <laughs> Okay, Meg, what are your thoughts disrupting the wedding industry? We're in a brand new space again. You know, I'm all about blowing things up. Like, I think I've gotten feedback (laughs) at work. Like, don't come in and just like blow everything up. Like, things just work. But I love when people have the same mentality as me of like, now the shit sucks, you know? (laughs) And so basically what I'm saying is I love Leslie. Like, right on girlfriend. Like, I'm here for it. I am here for it. I actually completely agree with you. I think having the foresight to be like, you know what, this segment of my wedding is going to suck if I don't figure out how to do this the way that I want to do it. Literally going out to China, picking out how she was going to do her wedding dress and then executing. I, wow, I just, that is the type of woman that I aspire to be like, one that just fully executes. And, you know, the one thing that she said to me that really resonated is that she, recognize that she was taking on a lot more risk and she's quickly gotten comfortable with taking on more risk. So I love hearing that as well. Yeah, I don't know. I'm yet again, another interview that has taught me so much in such a short period of time. Yeah. And really, I think that, you know, the foundation of a lot of the conversations we're having with a lot of these female founders, quite honestly, is, you know, you just got to kind of trust yourself. People are going to have opinions. People are going to have feedback. People are going to have all this stuff. But at the end of the day, you got to wake up with yourself and be like, am I happy? Am I passionate? And if you can answer both of those yes more times than not, then you're probably doing the right thing. And I definitely got that vibe from Leslie too, which I'm now like, God, when I get married, you know, maybe I should follow her Instagram. Just saying. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I know you. I know you're also going to like quietly build out your dress on her website. Like, and it, yeah, no, I see that look on your face. <laughs> I'm just for fun. Just for funsies. Just for funsies. All right, lovey. Should we, should we wrap it up? Yeah, let's wrap it up. Love you. Love you. Almost married lady. Thanks for joining us. Head on over to girlsjustwanna.com where you can subscribe to the show follow Megan and I on social, or even text us your important financial questions. And remember, there's no shame in asking anything. We'll see you next time on Girls Just Want to Have Funds. Girls just want to have funds.